Good morning. So good to see you today, and uh, looks like our weather may be getting a little better, which is good. Um, delighted to see Paul and Baby Nova today, and we have visitors here as well that we're delighted to see. Um, and a, a friend of mine that uh, is here today, Mike Eggenreiter, who is uh, a colleague and fellow schoolmate. We're enduring doctoral studies together, and so uh, we had a session yesterday, and so he was able to stay over to today, so I'm delighted to see him today and have him worship with us today, and it's good to see all of you, and of course, today is uh, within popular culture, it's Super Bowl Sunday, so everybody's gearing up for uh, the Patriots to lose, and that's <laughs> a good thing, and uh, but we're here for another purpose, and that's to worship God and, and to encourage each other. Our lesson text that we read from was Leviticus 11.45, which says something very simple and profound. For I am the Lord who brings you out of the land of Egypt to be your God. You shall therefore be holy, for I am holy. Be ye holy, for I am holy. And we'll unpack that uh, here in a little bit. But before we get into that, I want to ask you a question. Have you ever felt like when you were leaving a conversation with someone, whether it be a family member, whether it be someone at work, uh, whether it even be at church, that you left the conversation and you, and you thought, wow, they really don't care what I think. Or have you ever gotten to a place in your life to where you actually you walk away and you say, no one cares what I think? Have you ever felt that feeling before? That what you think doesn't matter? That people don't really care what you think? Well, let me tell you, this morning I want to tell you first off, first and foremost, I care about what you think. Not, not about me, of course, but that is somewhat important, but I do care about what you think. And I want to begin with a quote from A.W. Tozer, which I hope will bring this into perspective about what we think. And he said this, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. The history of mankind will probably show that no people has risen above its religion and man's spiritual history will positively demonstrate that no religion has ever been greater than its idea of God. Worship is pure or base as the worshiper entertains high or low thoughts of God. For this reason, the gravest question before the church is always God Himself. And the most pretentious fact about any man is not what he at a given time may say or do, but what he in his deep heart conceives God to be like. We tend by a secret law of the soul to move towards our mental image of God. This is true not only for the individual Christian, but of the company of Christians that composes the church. Always the most revealing thing about the church is her idea of God. 
What a poignant statement that is, isn't it? That it's our idea of God that has the most import into our lives. And it's very important who you think God is and what you think about God. Because what you think about God and who you think God is affects your life, doesn't it? And a lot of times when people begin to talk about God and think about God, they like to put God over into a category of opinions and preferences, don't they? Well, I have my God and you have your God and my God's over here and your God's over there and it's just a matter of whatever you want to believe about God and there's really no facts about God. You have your God and however you want Him to be, that's fine. But who is God? Can we really be that lackadaisical? And is He really just a matter of preferences? Or have we done something worse? Because here's my point this morning, is that if we distort who God is, you know what I've created? I've created an idol. If my thoughts are not worthy of God Himself, if I do not see God as who He is, then I've made a golden calf just to please myself. Who is God to you? Believers, theologians, philosophers have struggled with identifying what and who God is. And they use a lot of big words a lot of times in describing His attributes. They use words like His aseity, meaning His self-existence. They use words like indivisible, that He is one, He is simple, He is spirit, He is immutable, truthful, He is eternal, no beginning, no end. He is omnipotent, He's all-powerful, He's omniscient, all-knowing. He is beneficent, all good. The locus of all that's good and perfect is from God. And then we begin to struggle with that. Do we really know anything about Him? Those big words, what do they really mean? Who is this transcendent being that we call God? And sometimes people make the point in the case, well, you really can't know Him at all. And if you claim to have any knowledge of God, shame on you. And certainly all of us will say that God is hard to know in some sense. In fact, the psalmist of old in Psalms 45.3 said, Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised and His greatness is unsearchable. And yes, there is a part of God that's incomprehensible, that's beyond our reason, beyond our reach. But then, you read in Jeremiah, listen to these words. Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man glory in his might. Let not the rich man glory in his riches. But let him who glories glory in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness on earth. For in these things I delight says the Lord. Here in Jeremiah, you have an invitation not to just know something about God, 
but actually to know God Himself. Isn't that amazing? And there is a difference, isn't there? Because you can know everything about me. You can know how tall I am, what color eyes I have, how much I weigh, how old I am. And you can know all the facts about me, but do you really know me? And in the same sense, we can know facts and attributes of God, but do we really know Him? And God invites us not only to know about Him, but actually to know Him. He who is incomprehensible. He who is holy. He who is beyond. And how can we know God? The only way that we can know God is through His revelation, through what He has revealed to us. And God is a revealing God. God has revealed Himself in nature. His invisible attributes, it says in Romans, are clearly seen through nature. He reveals Himself in Scripture, through Scripture, through the written Word. The Word which cannot be broken. We can know who God is. And lastly, it is through Christ Jesus, His Son, that we come to God completely. In fact, Jesus said in Matthew eleven twenty seven, Nor does anyone know the Father except the Son, and He to whom the Son wills to reveal Him. And what we find when we begin to encounter the one true living God is this. Not only is God a God of love, which you'll never hear anyone disagree with that. Not only is God a God of mercy, and most people won't disagree with that. Most people won't disagree that God is a God of grace. But we also come to the conclusion that the God that we serve is a God of holiness. What does it mean? What does holiness mean? It means to be separate, apart, wholly other. That God is different from everything else that we know. He is apart, distinct from His creation. Even though He's near all of us. In fact, it says 90 times in the book of Leviticus the word holy concerning God and His people. You know, when you look at Scripture, you never find where God is described in the way that He's described in Isaiah 6. In 1 John it says God is love. In many passages it talks about His mercy. But in Isaiah chapter 6 it says that God from the mouth of angels is holy. 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 Three times to the third power God is described not as God is love, 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 even though certainly God is, but is described as God is holy, holy, holy. So today I want us to look at 1 Peter and look at how this impacts our life, a holy God serving a holy God. And the first thing that Peter tells us about our holy God is number one, there is a holy revelation. In 1 Peter 1.13 it says this, Therefore gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. 
The first thing that Peter says that if you want to know the true, living, holy God, you have to do something. You have to gird up the loins of your mind. What does that mean? It literally means to, to tie up a, 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 a robe, in a sense. That's what girding your loins is. It's, it's tying up the robe so you can move around. Because it takes effort. It takes the operation of our mind. He says, gird up your loins. And he says, of your mind and be sober. God desires that our minds be the instrument to which we know Him. He desires the condition of our minds to be clear and lucid, to be able to perceive the truth. God desires our minds to be at one with Him. And it also means that when we worship Him, our minds are to be approaching Him. Remember, there is a famous story in the book of Leviticus about worship. And it was the two top guys, other than Aaron himself. It was Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu, in Leviticus 10. And it says that when they approached God, they offered a profane fire. And it says that they offered something that was not commanded by the Lord. When we approach God, we must have clear minds as to what He wants us to do. We need to search His Scriptures and know what He desires of us. So that when we do worship God, we worship Him in spirit and in truth. He says to be sober. He says, rest your hope fully, fully upon the grace. Listen to that phrase, rest your hope fully. Is there anything that you can fully put your hope in? Can you fully put your hope in yourself? Can you fully put your hope in your money? Can you fully put your hope in anything? But it says here, you can fully put your trust and hope upon the grace. And it's ultimately that hope that is brought by the revelation through Jesus Christ. It says, this is brought to you by the revelation of Jesus Christ. I can rest fully upon His revealed Word. Hebrews 1.1 says it like this, God who in sundry times and in divers' manner spoke in time past but by the prophets, but hath in these last days spoken to us by His Son. The second thing that Peter tells us in 1 Peter 1.14 and following is that He desires for us to live in a holy way. Listen to what he says. As obedient children not conforming yourselves to the former lust, as in your ignorance, but as He who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Because it is written, Be holy, for I am holy. God says to us that He desires for our living to be separate and apart from everything else, that in our lives are to reflect the holiness of God. When we think about that word holiness, being separate, being apart, it draws into my mind the concept of boundaries. Doesn't you? Boundaries in our life. And when you read in the book of Leviticus, when you read in God's Word, there are boundaries that God wants us to have in our lives. And that's what it means to be holy. G.K. Chesterton once said it like this, Art like morality, consists of drawing the line somewhere. We have to draw the line somewhere in our lives, don't we? 
with our morality, with our, ex, our uh, ethics. We have to draw the line. And what we see in our society, what we see in our world is what? A blurring of the lines. There's no boundaries. Nothing's sacred anymore. Nothing's holy anymore. Nothing. But God calls us to live a life with healthy boundaries that are according to His Word. In fact, in Peter it says, obedient children. Think about that. That God wants us to be obedient in our lives to Him. Not everyone that says unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father. He says, not conforming yourselves to the former lust. He says, you don't need to be like the world like you used to be. Don't run after the lust of the flesh. Don't run after avarice and greed and envy and jealousy and hatred. No, you're supposed to be a new person. And he says, those former lusts are when you were ignorant. Don't go back to the life of ignorance. You've received the revelation of Christ. Because you've received that, you should live differently. Because God has His boundaries. God has His instructions for us in His Word. And He says, be holy, for I am holy. It also says that without partiality, judges according to each his work. One day there will be accountability in our lives. And God is our judge in that. Well, how do I, how do I attain this holiness? Verse 18 and 19 gives us what it is. Listen to it. Knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by the tradition of your fathers. Listen, verse 19. But with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish and without spot. God has given us His holy revelation. He desires for us to be, live our lives in a holy way. And it's through the holy sacrifice of Jesus that that's accomplished. How does the world tell you to live? They say it's about material things. It's about silver and gold. But those things can't redeem us. They can't change us. They can't transform us. He says, not with corruptible things, but with the blood of Christ. He says, not with empty religion either. Not with the words of men. He says, uh, not with the aimless conduct or father's tradition. No, it's only through the blood of the Lamb that we can be healed, that we can come to a holy God. I remember not too long ago, I got to hear an orthopedic surgeon. And he was talking about new surgeries and new things that his uh, office was offering. And I found it interesting that in his speech, he said, you know, for healing to take place, it takes blood. It takes blood in that joint or in that uh, whatever's being worked on by the doctor. It takes blood to come into that wound and to, and to begin to heal. And he said in the same likeness, in spiritual healing, he said this, it takes blood. And for us to approach a holy God, for us to be healed of the brokenness that we're in, money won't fix it. Empty religion won't fix it. Only the blood of the Lamb. 
And lastly, Peter tells us in 1 Peter that because of Christ, not only because of His death, he says there is a holy glory that's before us. Listen to these words. He indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, who through Him believe in God, who raised Him from the dead and gave Him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. There is a glory before all of us as followers of Christ. Because Christ just didn't die. He wasn't just left on a cross. But in fact, He overcame death. And because of the resurrection, all of us have that hope of that glory. Raised Him from the dead and gave Him glory. So not only are we delivered from the penalty of sin, not only are we delivered from the power of sin in this life, but we're delivered from the very presence of sin when we're glorified with Him. In fact, Philippians 3.21 says it like this, who will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to His glorious body according to the working by which He is able to subdue all things. God will take this lowly body and transform it, conform it to the body of Christ. And no more will sin and death and disease and sorrow be in this life. That's what the holy glory is before us. So this morning, in conclusion, number one, God has called us to holy living. And He has manifested that holy living through Himself and through the Scriptures and through Christ. Number two, He makes it possible through the provision of the cross. It's through the death and blood of Jesus that we come and to attain that holiness before God. And God has a destiny planned beyond time, beyond these physical bodies in the living Christ. But it comes down to one question. Who do you serve? Who is your allegiance to? I'll leave you with one last story. Recently heard about during World War II, there was a machine that the Nazis had called the Enigma machine. It was very interesting because the Enigma machine was able to encrypt all of the message of the Nazis. And so basically all of the directives of the Nazi army was out there in the waves, in the, in the radio waves. And so and the British could pick up on them and they could listen to them, and they could under, but they couldn't understand them because they were encrypted with this machine called the Enigma machine. In fact, they hired a mathematician by the name of Alan Turing to try to figure it out. But it would take... It would take 15 million, million, million possibilities to be able to understand what any message was. Imagine that. And the thing about the machine is, is that they would reset it every 24 hours so that it was new encryption every 24 hours. Think about that. They didn't have enough men. They didn't have enough years to be able to figure out what the encryption was. So Alan Turing built one of the first computers to try to crunch the numbers and they could not figure out what the messages were. Over and over again, they just 
could not find what the Nazis were sending out. And then finally, Alan Turing had an epiphany about how to crack the code of the Nazis. And how he did it was it was because at the very end of every Nazi message ended with the same phrase. And you know what it was? Heil Hitler. Heil Hitler. And so because they knew what the last phrase was, then they could figure out what the rest of it was because now they had a key into the encryption. And now all they had to figure out was that one phrase at the very end and then the rest of the message was decoded. And you say, well, why does it matter? It was because ultimately it was their allegiance to Hitler themselves that undermined their whole message. And in the same way, our allegiance in this world makes us or breaks us. And there is only one person worthy of your allegiance. There's only one entity worthy of your worship. And that is the God who is called holy, holy, holy. Do you serve Him today? The Bible says to become a Christian That one must respond in faith to become aware through faith of how this world really is. To to come to Him with faith. To repent of sins. To turn from those sins that alienate us from God. To confess Jesus. To be who He says He is. And to be immersed, baptized into His body, the church, for the remission of sins. To receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And God changes and transforms you and you begin to walk with the Lord. We're going to sing a song this morning to encourage you. If you've never become a Christian, do that today. Or you feel that you haven't offered your life as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, that you can begin doing that again. Or if you need a prayer of healing or of encouragement, we're here to pray with you. So we're going to sing this song as we stand and as we sing.